This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. These days, I can't even be Nadia's hero. I can't rescue her from life's tragedies. I can only support her with an open heart. The only person for whom I can be ultimately responsible is the nine-year-old girl inside of me. Valeria Tellez interviews Leila Teraf, the author of Strong Like Water, how I found the courage to lead with love in business and in life. Layla Tariff is a senior human resource executive with over 25 years of professional experience. After graduating with her MBA from the Haas School of Business at the University of California at Berkeley, she became one of the founding team members at Walmart.com. She then served as chief people officer at Pete's Coffee and Tea, an iconic Bay Area premium coffee company. Currently, Layla is the head of people and employee experience for Allbirds, is a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and investors, and is a regular guest lecturer at Berkeley Law School. Layla Tariff was the chief people officer for Pete's Coffee and Tea, the iconic Berkeley coffee roaster that launched the craft coffee movement in America. But she had a secret. She was failing in the most important relationships in her life. Yes, she was a strong and effective business leader, the successful daughter of immigrants and the mother of a toddler, but she was disconnected from her own feelings and had little patience for the feelings of others. All that changed when life handed her a trifecta of losses. Her husband died of an accidental drug overdose and her parents' deaths followed in quick succession. Layla had spent her life leading from the head convinced that any display of vulnerability would make her soft. And it did, but soft turned out to be strong. As she reconnected to her heart, one painful step at a time, something remarkable happened. She became a better leader, a better mother, and a better person. Her heart turned out to be the true source of her power, at home and at work. This is a book about healing, about waking up, about learning who you are, who you really truly are at the core, and reclaiming and embracing all the pieces of yourself you had long abandoned in the name of survival. For women longing for balance, this is a path to opening our hearts and infusing our leadership and relationships with love, compassion, and authenticity. Meet Layla at laylatariff.com. Here is the interview with Layla Tariff.
In your own words, who is Layla Taref? Oh, wow. That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think I am、um, a human, a person,、uh, a professional, a leader, a mother, a daughter, a sister. I'm all those things. And the trick, I think, in my life, maybe in all our lives, is to recognize that we are all those things and how we integrate all those pieces of ourselves so that we show up authentically and whole. What is to be authentic, really? What does it look and feel like? That's such a good question. And you know, obviously, in the last 10 years, that word authenticity, authenticity and leadership has really come into the vernacular. And I see it actually misinterpreted、uh, or, or used differently a lot. But for me, authenticity has to do with many layers. How you can, first, how you connect to yourself. How well do you know yourself? If you, if you have a level of awareness about who you are, what drives you, your core motivations, your fears, your triggers, the more you are aware of those things, the more you will be able to show up as your true self. So, therefore, authentically. Now, we're not perfect, right? <laughs> right. We're,、no, yeah. we're, we're human, which means we're,、right. we're triggered, we get upset, we,、um, there, there's a range of emotions. And,、um, and how, we, how we dance in life with those emotions and、um, allow ourselves to feel everything that's coming up. I mean, that's been the big journey of my life、uh, to, to be able to recognize and reconnect with what is coming up for me and to stand in that and, and not be afraid to show it. That to me is authenticity. The title of your book is Strong Like Water. I love that. <laughs> How I found the courage to lead with love in business and in life. My question related to the title of your book is We all have our own definition of love. What is love to you and what is to lead with love? You ask really good questions. What is love? Again, that's the question for the ages, right?、Um, I know the Greeks have many different definitions or nuances for love, right? There's love between a parent and a child, and love between、uh, siblings, and a love between、uh, a man and a woman, or a woman and a woman. And, but love to me really is about、um, a connection, a deep heart connection that. Is more powerful than anything else. I mean, as human beings, we, we crave connection, true connection, true intimacy. And the way to that is through love in all its permutations. And I think back when I, when,、uh, I was working as the chief people officer for Pete's Coffee and Tea back in 2010, 10 years ago, I wanted to.、Um, Say something about for the love of Pete's, because that's really how I felt at that point. Our customers felt about our company and our coffee. And I was warned, oh gosh, you don't want to use the word love business. That's, that's, too,、right. that's too far outside of the, the acceptable boundaries. And yet I found myself continuing as I did my own work, as I deepened, as I learned my lessons in life. and 
um, experienced a loss that gave me the opportunity to make a choice. Do I allow myself to feel and to get deeper and, and to grow or not? And and after 40 years, I finally did. <laughs> I started feeling more able to love, more loving. And I couldn't make that artificial separation between home and work. And it began to dawn on me in a very personal way why all of a sudden we were talking about leading with love and and uh, love in the workplace. And now with with COVID, you know, that barrier that existed before between work and home, it's just gone. Yeah. Right. And my role now, again, I am I'm running HR for a small startup, Allbirds. I am I am I talk about emotional and mental um, well-being all the time. I can't make a distinction between you're an employee and you're going to work and put your head down or you're a person. So all these things we've been talking about have come full circle, bring your whole self to work and authenticity and leadership and leading with love. Now it's so evident. Being able to see the opportunities for growth within challenges, that is amazing. It's the silver lining, isn't it? It is. I also think it's made very obvious how we are all connected, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those in who 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 are who have spiritual lives, I believe, know that and and have come to realize that. But harder for those who are not on the path or earlier on the path to see. But now, it is very clear we're all connected. I think it would be hard to argue with that. And speaking of spirituality. What is um, your idea of spirituality? What is to be spiritual? Mm. I mean, for me, I grew up Catholic, and so I had that model of of spirituality. But I make a distinction between religion and spirituality. For me, spirituality is broader than religion. And it is this sense or this knowing that we are beyond our physical uh, presence. We, 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 we extend beyond our, our bodies. Uh, there, we have our emotions and, and there's a consciousness that is beyond what we are even aware of. And that consciousness for all of us, I believe, is connected. And so it's, you know, it's a bit abstract, right? And I don't know that I can completely explain it. <laughs> I'm just human right now. Yeah. But we are half human. In fact, in in my book, I do actually refer um, to this concept, this book that I read that talked about um, the fact that, you know, in our seven chakras, the bottom, the the first three chakras are what ground us to being human. And the top four, five, six are what connect us to our divine selves. And the opening is our heart, the heart chakra, which again takes us back to if we can feel if we can be moved, if we can love, that is how we connect to our to our divinity. I believe the divine is within all of us. We just need to be aware of it and reconnect with our true our true essence. Unconditional self love. Do you believe that this is a um, realistic goal or practice? <laughs> I think it's it is a wonderful goal. I think it's a really challenging goal to achieve. I have even come to realize even more and more so as this past year, people are struggling 
with everything happening around us, and not just COVID, but uh, with BLM and the fires here in California, it's been a challenging year. And I have seen firsthand how people are so hard on themselves. And, you know, where I work now, there's a lot of millennials and Gen Z. And generationally, I think the anxiety level that that they hold, perhaps it's also that they are more comfortable expressing, because I do think at least now we are more open about talking about uh, when, when we're stressed and when things are out of balance. Um, I've just become so much more aware of just really how hard everyone is on themselves. And um, who was it that said that the Dalai Lama, that um, sort of the double arrow, or was that Buddha? So suffering, a certain amount of suffering is, is bound to happen. You can't control it. But the double arrow, right, when you're hard on yourself about how you uh, are reacting to that suffering when you, you know, sort of the, the self-flagellation, that's optional. That's right. <laughs> we don't need to do that. Yeah. I always try yeah. to remember that when my inner critic gets going. Yeah, it is a practice for life, uh, unconditional self-love and dealing with the inner critic, as you call it. What do you do in those moments? Do you have a suggestion what to do when that voice is loud and too loud? I mean, what I've what I've studied and what I've learned is you can't meet that energy with a reciprocal energy because then it ends up being this sort of tug of war and a stalemate. And a lot of energy is being expended, but but not a lot is happening. And so it goes back to mindfulness, which is just to notice like, oh, okay, there you are (laughs) saying the things you say and and just notice and maybe be open and curious. And if you have it in you to have a little levity, make a little fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do that, don't I? Okay, well, isn't that funny? <laughs> and I, I try to do that within myself and with others when I see that they're being really hard on themselves. Um, I try to, you know, show some self-deprecating humor, like, look, it's hard for all of us. That I think that's all we can do. It doesn't sound like it's a big thing to do, but I think it's in the moment, little by little, that's how we all do it. What is your idea of a balanced life? A balanced life. A balanced life is one where you are, where you try to be aware of um, the different the different sides of you, your different energies. You know, we are we are intellectual, we are emotional, we are physical, we are spiritual, uh, we are relational beings. And uh, when we get out of balance, and we are always in a little out of balance, right? It's just how quickly do we recognize it? Mm, yeah. Um, and can we shift? And it's a moment by moment thing. So the first is awareness. And the second is the ability to be able to shift. Right. This year has shown a big light on our ability to uh, practice self-care. And maybe before we could have really pushed ourselves and, you know, America's a big, you know, workaholic country. But this year it just got to a point where like, okay, that's enough. No more. And so really consciously going out and taking a walk or stepping away from your computer and closing your eyes, whatever that 
disconnection looks like. We're talking about connection, but that disconnect to rebalance and take care of yourself. And Lamont, the author, says almost anything will work again if you just unplug it, including mm-hmm. you. Yeah, reset. <laughs> love, right. <laughs> I, I love that saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Unplug for a minute and rebalance. And just being patient and kind with ourselves at all times. That's something that I try to practice every day. Mistakes I make, not big ones. I try not to make them anymore. Well, you get to a point where the mis- where if if you are able to get to a place where you are kind to yourself, the mistakes aren't even mistakes anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. So 2020 has been this different time. So for you... What has changed within? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I truly believe that times of adversity are opportunities for growth, as hard as they are. And this year has given one for the world. And so I do think we have an opportunity to reimagine what life might be like after COVID. And what are those lessons? Can, can, we, can we be grateful for what we have? I will tell you, I am more grateful now for blue skies than I ever have yeah. been. Yeah. For the skies turned orange. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Earlier this year for us here in, in California. So I think gratitude for the many gifts, so many gifts we've had that we didn't even notice. Right, right, true. <laughs> right. So true. Uh, I think that is one big way to reimagine a future of for more gratitude and less sort of uh, expectation. I also think this idea of the um, separation of this is my work life, this is my home life, this is when I'm a mother, this is when I'm you know a friend. I think I really hope that those um, distinctions will minimize and can collapse. Again, it's not like that in other countries, in the States, those distinctions are more hard and fast. I've lived in France before and it's not that way there. So I I think those are a couple of ways I can reimagine life in a better way. The success, how do you define success these days? And what are the greatest misconceptions about success? Gosh, you have such good questions, Valeria. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Very deep. Um, success. Well, I, I think the, the immediate definition of success is um, the achievement of a goal or an objective or a, a certain position in life. Are you successful? Are you not? But if you unpack that a little bit, really, and um, it's the gift of, of getting older, right? You set a goal, you achieve it. Am I happy? Am I truly fulfilled? Am I? Re- and then what happens almost for all of us, you set the next goal right away. Mm-hmm, yeah. You don't even take a moment to just savor the, the beauty <laughs> and the celebration of that moment of achieving a goal. Maybe we do some, some bigger goals, but generally speaking, we're off to the next thing. And I, I think um, as you get older, there is an awakening if we're lucky, at least for me, as I've gotten older, my focus has shifted from the definition of success um, in, uh, as, as a way to um, achieve and acquire to one of uh, meaning and significance. 
the meaning of uh, my relationships, the meaning of my work, the significance of what I do and my actions, even as far as to think um, of a legacy. I always think about if I'm really stressed about something, I try so hard to zoom back and say, will this matter in a day or a month or a year or in my life? And usually it's no. (laughs) And so why am I striving? Right. Again, I think one of the ways that I have grown is I recognize when I was younger, I had this just willful drive, striving to achieve as a way to prove to myself that I was worthy. And again, this is something I talk about in, in my book, Strong Like Water. When I finally recognize that there is there's the, the yin energy to that yang energy, which is allowing. And allowing means, it doesn't mean, I used to think like, oh, it just means like you do nothing. Like, what am I just supposed to sit and do nothing? <laughs> I understand there was a space mm-hmm. between do nothing right. and lean in so hard, you're actually forcing things that may not want to be that way. So the second you let go, they're going to revert to their natural state. Right. But there is this beautiful um, middle ground that, again, I think of it as dancing with life where you're tuned into what wants to happen, what wants to show up and and guide it. Yes, it's not happening to you, but you're 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 co-creating instead of having it happen to you or you on it trying self-worth i mean we talked about unconditional self-love and this is a topic that's connected self-worth and self-love do you see this being a a topic let's say for women mostly or this is a something that affect men too the lack of self-worth it's a good question I, I think realistically, probably everybody uh, has a relationship with uh, self-worth and self-compassion. I think we all struggle with it um, at some points in our life. I do think women in particular, given the traditional cultural norms and stereotypes, likely have it harder because there is this, right, there's this perfection trap that women get into we must be beautiful and capable and strong Mm, and just and nothing i don't believe that men have that same level of either expectation from the world or of themselves internally and for me i really needed to unlearn and disconnect from this idea that my worthiness came solely through my strength that was for me. That was a narrative. It took me years to to unwind that I was lovable and I was worth something, even if I wasn't out saving the world. I didn't need to <laughs> have my hero's cape on, and that took a long time for me to to recognize that. I do think women in general feel like they're in that double bind where they have to be perfect in every way. And it's just not true. It's a lie. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and also intention of writing your book, Strong Like Water? How I found the courage to lead with love in business and in life. Well, I think I always had in the back of my mind that I would, I'm a storyteller. 
I'm a storyteller in in words. When I stand up and I I, I speak, I'm, I'm an educator. But what really was the impetus for my book is I had um, a short period of time, uh, a few years, where I experienced tremendous loss. I lost my husband, then my father and my mother very quickly. And up until that point in my life, I really had not suffered in that way. And the way that I held myself up until that point was um, I've got everything handled, no problem. I was very capable. I am very capable, but I held on to it as a as as a badge, as if it was my, you know, my identity. And what happened when I experienced those three losses, one on top of each other, and my daughter was only three at the time. All of a sudden, here I was by myself with a young daughter, and I realized I didn't know how to grieve how to allow myself to feel any feelings that were uh, not happy or forward-looking. And I had a very real decision to make, which was, do I allow myself to really fall apart and grieve and reconnect not only with the feelings that I was having because of the losses, but of the 40 years <laughs> that I had not allowed myself to feel anything. So it was a dark, deep time. And this is, I, I, don't, I, I, I would never wish it upon anyone, but we all of us have these moments in our lives that provide uh, an opportunity to really wake up and to learn something. And for me, that's what it took. And as I was coming out of it, I was speaking with friends and colleagues and telling them some of my insights and, and my wisdom and my stories. And so many of them said, gosh, you should really write that down. That was so good what you just said. Well, that's really that's really an amazing insight. And I was so in it, I didn't even realize it. And so that was the beginning of of really writing about my journey. And now that it's a few years behind me, I can see how, okay, my hope is that sharing my personal story, and I'm still a little feeling a little vulnerable about sharing it because I show all the sides of me, the bad decisions, everything. And I worry about being judged that if one person can take a learning from it, and relate it to their life, and it can help them through a challenging time so they can become whole and integrate and in a better place, then to go back to your question about what is success, that is, for me, the most important thing, I think, for my work in this world. If I can positively impact person by person in any way that I can to help ease their pain, their suffering, their loneliness, their solitude, what else is there? What is helpful through the grieving process? What was helpful for you, the most helpful component of peace? It's a great question. Uh, this year, I actually had a woman come in and speak to the employees at my company about grief, which, you know, again, you think about even a few years ago, we would never have thought we would do that in business, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Grief, gosh, it's it's a feeling. It's uh, many feelings. It's a state. When you lose something, a, a person, your freedom, uh, and again, this year has been been losses upon losses. And I think 
if we're not used to allowing ourselves to feel, then we don't recognize perhaps when we are grieving. I think, again, Western culture in general, we, we don't grieve in a healthy way. You look at how other cultures grieve, the open emotional grieving, they take, they bring it out into the open. We don't do that. We kind of tuck it away and put it away. And, and so I think that makes it harder for us to allow ourselves to know what grieving means and to and to allow ourselves to to feel those feelings and grief unfortunately isn't just okay I'm grieving it's done I'm going to put it in the box tie it up no it comes like waves I actually say this in in my book it comes like waves big waves that crush you and then other days small waves that are like ripples but you are aware that there's a melancholy Uh, you know there are Thousands and thousands of emotions. Uh, someone told me once there were 30,000 different feelings. I, I think yeah. most of us can. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's right a lot. Hand, right? Yeah. Grief yeah. a lot of those in, in terms of the <clears throat> intensity and the level. And so recognizing when, when we are grieving, reconnecting to our feelings as a way to allow us to move through the grief is what will get us through it. The only way we make it through grief is to allow ourselves to feel our emotions so that they can be processed internally and then released by the body. If there was any other way, I would have done it. (laughs) There is no other way. And again, had I not had a daughter, I I may have just shut down and become brittle and and not allowed myself to feel. But I knew, even if it wasn't intellectually, like in the front of my mind, I intuitively knew that if I didn't grieve in a healthy way and reconnect with my feelings, I would not be able to model that for my three-year-old daughter. And I couldn't do that. And so I went into the valley. (laughs) Feeling our feelings with honesty. That's so crucial. And with respect, right? I mean, and not not uh, judging ourselves, which I, is a practice every day for me still. What is to be a true hero or heroine? What is to be our own savior, per se? Such a great question. Heroes, you know, I have a saying that I've said for years that heroes are the sign of a dysfunctional organization or heroes are the sign of a dysfunctional family. Because being a hero is not sustainable. That's the person that comes in a crisis and says, I'll save the day. And it is, I think, a construct of the ego. I mean, when there's a real crisis and you really need a hero, that is awesome. <laughs> but, but on an yeah. ongoing basis in our lives, Playing the hero, all that does is keep you distant from your friends and family and away from yourself. You are not reconnecting with yourself because you are not allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to admit that you have needs and that perhaps you may not know what to do. If you, and again, I know this because I I did this and it is a practice to take that K-pop whenever I feel like, okay, I'm going to handle this thing. Mm Hold on. <laughs> Who will that serve? <laughs> I really ask myself that question. And 
you know, again, at the very at the very end of my story, my big insight, my big awakening is that the only person you can be a savior for is is yourself. You are the only person you can save. You are the only person you can help. You are the only person you can rescue. And trying to do that for someone else comes from a very broken and unhealed place. I think you probably heard about this uh, in psychology. They talk about the drama triad. That's exactly what I was thinking of. And you know who the hero becomes when they become aware and when, when they do their work? They become the coach. So, and I, I feel like a lot of my friends who are coaches, we look at each other and we're like, oh, we're recovering mm -hmm. heroes, aren't we? <laughs> I have a few more questions for you. They are the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Leila? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Let me pull it out here and I will read you. Since we're talking about heroes, I will read this. While physically my journey had taken me to France, my inner journey brought me back to the little girl in that picture. I fought mightily along the way, fearful that my journey would make me soft. And it did, but soft turned out to be strong. It seemed appropriate that in the end, I wound up being the hero. No, not the hero, the heroine of my own story. Yeah, I love that part too. <laughs> yes, that's a wonderful insight to have. And um, what a beautiful thing to live by with that clarity that we can only save ourselves. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life in general, Leila, uh, as of today? I think the hardest one for me to look at still is I've always thought of myself as kind and giving because I was the hero. I was saving everyone. And what I really realized is that what that came from more of a of an egoic place, right? Because it helped me feel that felt feel better about who I was. Because I needed to feel strong and capable and like I had agency and that I was able to make things happen, to bend them to my will. I needed that to be true about myself. And and for good reason, I had a very hard childhood and I took on that persona as a survival mechanism and it did save me. But at some point in our lives, our original story, our our, our false narrative that saves us ends up holding us back from reconnecting with who we really are. And it's the hardest thing to let go because you think, you believe it. You think that story is true. And so I realized that, no, there is, I am worthy. I am, I am a person outside of being strong and capable. And that's been probably the hardest one. And I swear I go into it like a knee jerk. Like it, it's just... It's so easy. the 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 neural neural pathways are are so deep. Those grooves are so deep. Yeah. I just fall into it every time. Yeah. What is another word for healing? Another word for healing. Growing. I think if you heal, you grow. Yeah. Right. That resonates as a, as a person. Yeah, it resonates. True. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body. Would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? If I knew I was going to die soon, I would probably quit my job 
but then I couldn't travel because of COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would probably go to some place in the world um, and bring my daughter that needed where I could spread love and, you know, probably with children in, in, a, in a small community. Because that's how, I mean, to me, that's, it's all about living a wholehearted life. And so and there are many ways you can do that. But for me, I, I think that's what I would do. And the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Life is ever changing, right? It is changing. We are changing. Life is a gift and life is pain. And in that pain is the gift. Mm, wow. It's changing. Thank you so much, Layla, for your courage, your wisdom, your purpose in this reality, your work, everything, your beautiful words, your authentic presence, loving presence. Thank you. Thank you. I have one last question, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, thanks for asking. Um, you can go onto my website and it's www.laylataraf, L-A-I-L-A-T-A-R-R-A-F, like frank.com, or you can find me on Instagram at layla.taraf. Wonderful. I'll have those links too um, on your podcast profile. Thank you. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Layla Tariff and her works, please visit laylatariff.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.